Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Self Made CEO Podcast, Episode 9. Today, I'm doing my second ever case study episode. I'm here with my colleague, my former boss, actually my first boss post-college, and my dear friend. He is an Emmy award-winning writer, producer, and digital marketing strategist. We're going to talk today about all of his successes, how he got to where he is today, and more importantly, the failures that he has gone through and why they are the most important part of his journey. Stay tuned. My name is Adrian Finch, and I believe wholeheartedly that anyone from any background can create the success and happiness that they want. With my proven productivity hacks, business tactics, and a little mindset coaching, this podcast will unlock your greatest potential and transform you into the CEO of your own life, business, happiness, and success. So what are you waiting for? This is the Self-Made CEO Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We're on episode nine and we're on my second case study episode. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Oh, my gosh. No one's ever called me a case study before. You are such a case study. We're going to examine you. Uh This is, God, I say every episode's exciting, but you guys have no idea. This man sitting right here is not only my number one fan, number one hater, also true. Um, I, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. he is such a boss and honestly has been a dear friend, colleague and mentor of mine for like four years now. That's scary, but I'm so happy he's here. He is a veteran in the industry. So I talk a lot about how on these case studies, I want to have people from all phases of their careers, all phases of their businesses so that you guys can really get a feel for what it's like at different stages. And the fact that there isn't one path, there isn't one road to success. You know, once you launch your career, it's not just a steady path of success from there. There are failures, there are road bumps. And I think what's so awesome about Noam's story is you've had all of the above. You've had incredible, massive successes just to brag a a little bit before we get started. He is currently a writer, producer, marketing executive, and digital strategist. You may know him, though, more uh, famously as the co-writer of the film Dolphin Tale, which was an incredibly, incredibly popular film that grossed $100 million worldwide. worldwide oh my God. So we're literally here with a famous movie writer. <laughs> like, whoa. Don't know why he even still talks to me. This is so cool. And he's also... Um, an Emmy-nominated and Emmy award-winning producer, writer-producer. Indeed. So he's done a lot, and he's been in this industry for, what, 28 years? Yeah. Longer than I've been alive. Which is wild. I, I actually started when I was 15. I think you were born when I oh turned gosh. 16. So That's, wow. Which is wild when you think that about is, that. Anyway. Maybe me being born was the inspiration I think for it, your it career launch. I think it fundamentally changed my life. I think it did without point, you so. even knowing it. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I'm super happy he's here. Um, I worked for... Uh, him basically I worked for him right out of college I was freshly plucked from my LMU class and was placed right into this company and we're going to talk a little bit about how he even started that company and and why it went in that direction but let's just back up for a minute and just let's get a feel for what the heck your life is where did you when did you okay how did it start just I'll let absolutely. you absolutely um the origin story that is Noam uh my family's originally from Israel so we came here when I was very young and uh didn't really have relationships in the media or entertainment business that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. I think what was really interesting is I remember being 15 years old. My dad was a journalist. And at one point he had an opportunity to go interview a big Israeli director who was making their first film in America. And he picked me up at school and he's like, hey, uh, you're coming with me to this. And Adrian, it was the last thing on earth I wanted to do. <laughs> I was like the worst nerd. I was like, oh, I want to go to the library or something to that effect. And yes, I will take ownership of my geekiness. Um, 
we went to the set and I'm telling you, if you ever can think of a moment where you have this eureka moment in your life where you're like, all the the heaven the heavens open up, yeah. angels are singing like, in a way. Um, and I think what was so amazing to me is realizing that the thing we see as the end result, the show we love, the movie we love, yeah. that the process of getting there is really so involved and yeah. so intensive in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I had an opportunity to then be an office PA intern on that film during my winter break of 10th grade year. Three weeks, we got a three-week winter break and it was awesome. This was a film that starred a just out of rehab Drew Barrymore. Oh, wow. Who was probably 17 or 18 at the time, had a very interesting uh, life that uh, I'm sure many of your listeners probably know about. If not, they can Google it. Um, and as soon as it was up and it was time to go back to school, I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, they're going to start filming this now. Yeah, like, I, I want to be that. doing that. Mm -hmm. My parents were like, yeah, that's real cute. Go to school. And one morning, <laughs> they dropped me off at the school bus. I, w I wasn't driving yet. And then as soon as they drove away, I ditched, got down, got on the city bus and went to go work on this wow. film set. This was a time where no adult said, what are you doing here? Because yeah. I looked him dead in the eye as like a whack-ass liar. And I was like, oh, didn't you hear? I This was a work-study program. Adrian, I got away with oh. this for 14 days. I forged a note. I said that I was... Um, uh, a family member had passed away in Israel oh and God. was able to do this. And lo and behold, I did get caught. Uh, I came home one day. My mom, uh, who was a college professor, was there and she wasn't supposed to be. She said to me, hey, how's it going? What What's going on at school? And I was like, oh, we learned about no the school clue. presidents. And she said, uh, oh, tell me a fact about the school presidents. And I was you know, stuttering because I'm the worst liar. Mm -hmm. And... Um, she said, oh, let me tell you about a president like George Washington who could not tell a lie. And she pulled out a stack full of like notices from the school like, <laughs> where's your kid? What's going on? Um, the reason I share that story is uh, two reasons. One is for people who've seen Dolphin Tale that kind of made its way into the film because in the film, the young character of Sawyer is ditching summer school to go work mm -hmm. at the aquarium. So yeah. it was a fun example of something it. that had happened in my own life. But also more importantly, I had a passion and I think that the negotiation that I ultimately made with my parents that has served me well in life altogether is that if you're going to pursue your passion, you have to be accountable to it in a way. So I said, look, I want to do this. And they said, school is non-negotiable. So I said, all right, let me take summer school. By my senior year in high school, I had one class I had to go to to complete credit. So I went to my senior year, I went to school from 8.30 to 11, and then I worked as the second assistant to a big producer on the wow. lot at 20th Century Fox. Wow. And, and that that's was sort that, of, so that was your again, senior year. that's the origin story. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. And it gets crazier and more I mean, yeah. convoluted since then. But look, the thing that was always important to me is once I knew what it was, I realized that I wasn't waiting to be given permission to mm -hmm. do it, that if it was something that I wanted, I had to pursue it. I worked on a ton of movies for free. I'd said to myself that I want to be in a position to have every single kind of job that there is on a movie set. I'm going to be the grip. I'm going to be the craft service mm -hmm. person. I'm going to be the AD. And just because I wanted to understand so that if ever I was had the blessing and opportunity to work with someone, 
I could know what they did. I could say that I had walked a mile mm -hmm. in their shoes as well. I think that's incredible. That's definitely the mentality that I think people need to have more often when they <clears throat> want to succeed in a particular industry or job is, is wanting to learn and willingness to learn and willingness to put yourself in positions you might not want to ultimately be in, but that are going to help you get to that path. And I know when I was interning in college, I was kind of the same way. Like other interns would be sitting there when we didn't have things to do and just be on Facebook. And I'd be like, uh-uh, I'm in the doors of this place. Like I'm going to go walk upstairs and make myself introduce myself to every single person on the floor. And then I'll go back downstairs. When you and I first met, actually, I'm now a professor at Loyola Marymount, but I was guest lecturing a, a class of, mm -hmm. of uh, my previous partner and a good friend of ours, Jay Williams. And I remember that during those final presentations when you were there, what immediately impressed me about you was that during college, when a lot of people are still sort of trying to figure it out and doing the internships, you were actually doing it. It was still the early days mm -hmm. of where you were in terms of building your YouTube business and everything else. But the fact of the matter was that you were someone who was already teaching your peers. And the thing that I always, you know, the kudos to you for all the smack that I like to mm -hmm. talk about you is that which you've is a lot. always been a hustler and entrepreneurially driven. But the most important thing, which to me is the recipe for not only being a good self-made CEO, see, mm, plug, yeah, plug, but plug. also just as a general thing in life is to be intellectually curious. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is the day you feel like you know it all is the day that begins your slow or maybe yeah. not so slow, but definite decline. Yes. And the thing I love in every business that I get to participate in now as a creative entrepreneur, if it's the cryptocurrency business, if it's the mm -hmm. legal cannabis business, if it's the content business, I'm always out there wanting to learn, wanting to understand how the skills I have can benefit this thing mm -hmm. and also how I can learn new skills as well. Yeah. What's the phrase like be the dumbest in the room? That's probably not the phrase. Is that the phrase? I mean, whether or not that's the phrase, yeah, the be, idea behind it is mm -hmm. smart because look at this point, here's the thing. I will always have that same grind, whether I'm, oh, yeah. you know, 40 or 75, yep. but at the same time, you also have to acknowledge that there are people coming up that you can learn from in a way. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of that dynamic that's really important. Yeah, no, teams I mean- Teams matter. They absolutely, collaborating matters, teams matter. And being open, being willing to accept that you can learn from anyone in a room, something, even if one thing, and I think a lot of people, it, it restricts them because they're like, well, no, I'm the expert in this. Like, I don't, I don't wanna listen to some 20 year old seven figure entrepreneur, like, but hey, you can learn from anyone. And even the top, top seven, eight figure you know, successful people, they still have mentors. They still seek advice from people, learn from people. I think you're saying something important I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, the funny thing in this rat race uh, that is the media business, the content business, is that how are you defining success? Now, here's mm -hmm. the thing. I've had, I've been blessed with so many amazing opportunities, um, but I'm not independently wealthy, you know, I still have to wake up and go to a job so I can, you know, make mm -hmm. my nut every month and everything. And I think that the difficulty that so many people I meet who are, you know, kind of at your age, if not at your level, is really determining how you have to define that. Certainly there's yeah. a difference between working because you have to versus mm -hmm. working because you want to. Mm -hmm. But I also think that people chasing paper, people mm -hmm. chasing the money ultimately not the people who are going to be the most I successful. agree. And I mentioned this actually in the last episode because it's something I say a lot. I, I like to say like impact generates income, meaning if you're like driven just for that end goal, first of all, when you hit that quote end goal, 
it won't be your end goal anymore. There's going to be something more. You're going to want the next thing. You're never going to fully be satisfied with where you're at. And it's just going to be a constant struggle. If you are aiming to do the things you're passionate about, impact people, make dope content or whatever industry, that's what's going to generate income. And I think that's a really interesting point about defining success because, for example, in your life, you've had many points of like massive success. But and I don't I don't want to speak for you, but like, you know, even even for me having a YouTube channel where it is now, like I consider that a major success. But then it's so easy to sit there and be like, okay, but what do what what now? Like, what do I have to show for that? I'm not sitting here in piles of money, like blah, blah, blah. So it's interesting. It's not all about that. It's interesting to look back and think, okay, what it's all about this up and down and it's about well, evolving it into And something here's what's else. really important about the point that you're making. Um, I think so much of defining success, but also really maximizing opportunity is understanding the cyclical nature of things and timing. Mm -hmm. So if I were to look at myself, I wrote a film that made a hundred million dollars, um, co-wrote a film that made a hundred million dollars. I, uh, won an Emmy, I got nominated for another Emmy. Now those things in terms of being able to go back to your high school reunion and be like, oh, look, you know, yeah. I have a nice little statue. They don't, they don't mean anything. They're, they're talking points, but right. they're not really things of consequence. And if I had it to do over, I'd almost say to myself that the one thing that stands out is did I maximize those opportunities at the right, right time? I now, and I think this is always important with new people who I talk to and offer advice to based on my own experiences. It's not just about the deal that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's actually about how that deal impacts the next three or four mm -hmm. things that you're going to do because mm -hmm. the one thing will come and go. Yeah. And I'd say that among the many life lessons, those things which we'll get into a little bit more detail about in terms of learning from failure is also realizing that you're sometimes so focused, myopically focused on the on one the thing one. that you're not really looking at the broader perspective in a way. And I'll be honest yeah. with you, in some respects, you've actually been a great teacher to me about that because there comes a point whether it's not even about doubting your own skills, but it's about the recognition that you you do your best work on a one-to-many and a many-to-many -many basis because the one thing that you cannot scale is you. Right. One-to-one -one is great if people are paying you $1,000 an hour. Right. I think, yeah, we've definitely- Otherwise, it's a little more challenging. I think even in some things you and I have done together, we always want to overachieve. We're mm -hmm. always trying to think five mm -hmm. steps ahead, but you also have to realize that you're more efficient when those things scale, right. not when you have to do them all. That's definitely something I've learned in the past year or so about the scalability. And we've definitely talked about that as like, as much as I- want to, you know, help this business with their marketing or like create, produce this thing. Cause I love that. I've had to actually force myself to learn how to be like, no, because, okay, this is this one job and it'll pay this and it'll be fun and rewarding. And then I'm back at not zero, but I'm back. Okay. Now what's the next thing versus how can we take this same skill? Um, and just for some context, you guys, we've worked together a little bit on like digital and social media strategy and marketing and, um, for like, entertainment uh for shows for web series things like that for brands you um, know whatever it would yeah be. and yeah. so yeah something we've talked about is like okay we can't scale ourselves doing that we can't do like 25 clients without giving you know half-ass energy to all of them and so i've been talking about how i really want to take and and this podcast was the first step take a lot of this knowledge and package it into a way that not only can it make more money because you can have more clients it's more scalable but it's also impacting more people. And at the end of the day, 
I realized, wait a second, like it makes me feel good when I help a company or I help, you know, a business or a person, an individual, but I can only do that so much. I want to help a ton of people. It's not actually taking a lazy way out. It's actually like, I'm going to reach more people by, you know, doing. Let, let me ask you a question. Cause I yeah. think this is one of the things I also wrestle with. Um, you know, it's interesting being the self-made CEO is um, about realizing that you're not the, the human resources, the uh, time management and all the other things that begins and ends with you. So mm -hmm. you're not responsible for a staff, a PL, yeah. a profit and loss statement in the mm -hmm. same way. But what I wonder is, have you given thought, because I wrestle with this myself, to the idea that says, yes, you can build the turnkey thing, the thing that makes money when you sleep because you, you develop a system, mm -hmm. a process. Mm -hmm. But have you ever wanted to build the business that has 15 people who are what you were five years ago mm -hmm. that you can advise that can do that one-to-one -one work but then obviously you build margin into it so you can do your thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on really at the end of the day, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to do one-on-one -on -one work, whether it's me or or me training other people to be able to coach or to be able to strat do digital strategy or whatever? Um, and at the end of the day, I think what it came down to for me is that digital marketing and that whole realm is really not at the end of the day your what passion. I'm passionate about because it's a little bit soul sucking sometimes it's very important but what I realized like through this podcast and through just me having create even through me doing all those things and and not that any of them were failures but like I realized what I want more than anything else is actually to help people feel empowered to know that they can do something like this where they can own and operate a business where they can make money in their sleep where as I go through this journey I want to coach other people on how they can do that same thing almost everyone I talk to the second they start talking about their passion, I my brain without even trying immediately goes to like, ooh, you should package that in an online course and you could do this and sell this digital ebook and blah, 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 make so much money. Not that it's about the money, but I think something in my brain turned on realizing like, hold on, we're like inefficient human beings. <laughs> like we don't need to be sitting Dude, here slaving away, whether that's at a nine to five corporate job or creating content. I mean, I film, edit, film, edit, film, edit, create social posts. It is nonstop. It's hours and hours. So even something like my business that I love doing, and I think it's incredibly fun. It's my passion. I realized even there, I'm not being efficient. I'm spending hours doing something. So like, yes, I have, I have thought about that, but I think not in the realm of probably like digital strategy. I think what I would want to do is start once this evolves into maybe like, if this becomes the business that I feel, you know, is successful and I can coach other coaches on how to coach people yeah, then hundred percent. Cause the one thing, as much as I want this business to be a, an online digital digitally based business, I also want it to be a very real community. I want there to be people. I want it to be coaching. I want there to be webinars and seminar, like ev live mm. events. So yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. You, you've said a lot of important stuff, which we will talk about when. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> we return. We'll get right back <laughs> to the podcast. Awesome. Yay. Hey there! The holidays are here, so it's good to know Kroger can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Kroger has got you covered. So order for free pickup at Kroger.com or the app, and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply.
Welcome back, you guys. Thanks for being here. This is so fun. I love this. Okay. I hope you guys are enjoying this as well. Anyway. Because I'm on my best behavior. That's why. <laughs> yeah, Ordinarily, you'd be like, oh my God, Gnome this is, is the worst. normally just telling me how much the I'm massive stupid. Troll. I'm just kidding. He's such a troll, but it's funny because I've well, learned. But by the way, in, in, in defense of that strategy, um, whether it was Jay-Z <laughs> or others, the truth is the haters are so valuable to what you ultimately try to do well, because duh. in success, the haters generate as much conversation as the, well, yeah. the sycophants in a way. But you're a so, bad hater because I true, just because love you every time you tell me I'm ugly. I'm like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Well, okay. Back to let's for just a moment. I want to hear when you were talking about how like, you know, when we have one off successes, something we probably fail to do is think ahead and mm -hmm. think already be thinking about the next thing and part of it is like i want to be in the moment but the other part is you're absolutely right we need to be capitalizing on how is this the launch of the next thing not just so if i create my very first online course i need to be also thinking about well what am i upselling at the end what's the next thing even if i have no idea what that is in order like i think that's what sets apart um i don't want to say success and non-success but like what at least in terms of maybe income or progress what sets entrepreneurs apart is thinking about that next step and it, and adrian i think what is really valuable about but that it's the kind of the dichotomy between strategy and execution, mm -hmm. which is that the reality of it is, is that anyone can be task oriented, do this, this and that right. to achieve this outcome. But the reality of it is, like you said, given that we're in this new economy, the gig ecosystem in a way, mm -hmm. if you're not figuring out, think about it. Here's a good analogy. Um, I used to do a lot of kind of creative strategy work for different car companies and they seek to develop a relationship with a consumer that starts from when they are 16 years old. That's a little different now because people aren't getting their licenses right. right away. But your first car, your first car when you start a family, your first car when you get like that first big paycheck mm -hmm. in a way and you kind of want to upsize in a way. So that uh, they're clear on the fact that they're not succeeding if they're not developing a brand and a bond that will last not over one transaction, mm -hmm. but over right. a series of transactions. And right. I think in the same way, the thing that is important, look, you're 26 now. Um, you're not like most 26-year-olds in terms of what you've accomplished, the fact that you do have some of the flexibility to not have to go to the regular nine-to-five mm -hmm. job. But here's the thing. What's that look like when you're 30 and 35 mm -hmm. and 45? Because the reality of it is you are planting the initial kind of navigational stakes mm -hmm. that in success will carry you along that will always keep you hungry that will always keep you focused but will understand that the realities you're dealing with as a young woman today are not going to oh, be the yeah. same as they are in i 10 mean years, even so. it's crazy to just see how things evolve already like when i started youtube my hope was that that would be my business now it's my business and now i'm like wait i want to like do more and help other people start something. But also I'm sitting here being like, hold on, I should be outsourcing like editing. I should be having people help me with social media because also as you evolve, you realize that like your time is so valuable and you know, I'm willing to put blood, sweat and tears and hours into this. But then I realize why should I be sitting here editing if I could be starting the next thing? But let's even take it a step further because the reality of it is you doing that kind of labor because of saying this lovingly, but you're a, a type A personality and need for things to be a certain way mm -hmm. also fundamentally ends up being inefficient because 100%. we come back not only to yep. that scalability issue, but the thing that I think people forget 
when they have an opportunity to ideate and really create things that come out of their own imagination mm -hmm. is you actually need the time to sit and be still and silent. Mm -hmm. Whether you call it meditation, whether you call it just me time, self-care, whatever oh, yeah. it is, oh, is yeah. that I think that the reason some things just don't work is because they end up feeling rushed. People end up feeling yep. overwhelmed. And then and you don't take any action because you're so, that actually, I feel like that's happened to me in the past year with this whole thing. And then we're going to stop talking about me and start talking about you. This is not about me. This is about well, you. But, I, but yeah. no, I was going to say. It's important though, because I think what I have always appreciated about our relationship is that there is, I, I, I'm so happy to hear that I've given you insights and, and helped oh, you yeah. figure some things out. But it's important to me that you understand you do the same thing for me. One of the most important things in my life, and we'll get back to your point, is the pay it forward idea. Right. That everything, every good thing that ever happened to me was because I had a mentor, because mm -hmm. someone believed mm -hmm. in me. When on paper, I was like, you know, a child figuratively. And I've always wanted to make sure that anytime I had success, I was able to give that back. Yeah, 100%. That's, I've always felt that way as well. Like, even in college, when I would beg a senior to get coffee with me so I could ask, how do I get an internship? But really, it's like then when I was a senior and freshmen were asking me, I was like, absolutely, let's absolutely. go get coffee. It's not if, if it weren't for those people, I wouldn't I don't even know what. Um, but I was going to say, yeah, about a year ago, I had this idea. I remember we were actually chatting about how I was said, oh, my God, I want to make an online course about online branding and marketing because that's a lot of what we did. And we were freaking good at it. And I said, <laughs> I want to make this a course and sell it. And you were like, yes. And but I had no knowledge about like where to even begin. Like I just was overwhelmed with the thought of like, I don't know about this. I don't know how to do. It. I don't know the first thing about course creating. I can write the course and the content and make the videos. But I don't know the platform and how do you get everyone like nothing about that. Right. But I was like, I want this to happen. And I I ended up purchasing a course, an online course course called Consulting Accelerator, where basically it's a six-week program that teaches you how to do that um, efficiently and successfully. And it's like, that was a year ago. And I'm almost, I, I'm, I definitely beat myself up more than I should, but I do think about how, okay, I bought that course a year ago. I'm not even yet fully through the course and I haven't actually created a course. And part of it is what you said about me. One of my weaknesses, I guess, is that I feel like everything needs to have a plan and be like ready to go versus just put something out there, even if it's like you don't know what to do. Um, just put it out there because then you'll never know. But on that note, we're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. So I want to rewind for a second and talk about Dolphin Tail because, hi, sure. let's not let's not just breeze over the fact that you literally wrote like an incredibly popular movie that a lot of people know of. Um, so I know that was an interesting process for you. Sure. And I would it, love to hear. It, thank you for that. It's interesting because I know this is going to sound really weird to say, given that it is such a blessed and important accomplishment. There's a little bit of sort of melancholy around it. And I'll tell you what I mean specifically. So um, the time that film was financed by Alcon Entertainment uh, and then released through their output deal at Warner Brothers. Um, so at the time of its conception in 2006, uh, a guy who I was working with at a different company and I had seen a piece on the Today Show about a disabled dolphin who got caught in a crab trap, had to have its tail amputated, and then a team of scientists built a prosthetic tail for it. Um, 
I acquired the life rights to a dolphin, which was kind of a wild thing. And then Alcon, I was actually a um, market, a digital marketing strategist and consultant for them. Mm. So I remember the day that we were working on Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, um, mm. sort of strategy film, and content around that. And then at the end of that, um, the particular meeting on that day, um, I said, as the meeting was winding down, Hey, can I pitch you guys a movie idea? And there was a collective eye roll. They're like, dude, you're the marketing guy. Just like stay in your lane. So I said, just give me a couple minutes and let me go ahead and share that story. Uh, and by the end of it, they're like, oh, wow, that's actually an awesome story. They were doing a lot of like YA and more adult stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were really looking for a family film. Mm -hmm. They had had one a few years back called My Dog Skip. So immediately it was like, cool. So we're going to... Um, uh, we're going to come in, uh, you'll produce it with us. We'll hire a writer. And I was like, hold on. I kind of want to write it. Cause I was at that point, I had had some successes earlier on. Mm -hmm. I sold my first teleplay when I was 20, um, and was worked on a television show. That's sort of another yeah. lifetime. Um, and I felt like, man, this is really what I want to be doing. And they gave me a shot to their credit. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a first draft, worked with their development people and then the Writers Guild strike happened in 2007. Mm. It was pens down. No work could be done. I turned in a second draft when that strike ended. Uh, interestingly enough, that strike is also where I met my wife, which is kind of Oh, wild. hey. Um, and uh, immediately it was like, okay, thank you. We're now going to hire the writer of Free Willy 2. Not even Free Willy 1, Free Willy 2 <laughs> to come in and rewrite the film. Now, look, from a standpoint of like, my ego, I was like, well, well, I'm not good enough. Like, you don't like me? Like, what, yeah. what's going on? But studio movies are written by committee. And I, right. and I got that. So this person, uh, Karen Jansen, who um, is the co-writer on the film and did some significant work on it, um, her initial takes were sort of very different than what mm -hmm. I had done. And then subsequently, it looked like the project wasn't going to happen. And then a director came in and he did a bunch of writing and then other people did writing. Now, just to quickly, without getting too much in the weeds, um, usually if a bunch of people are writing on a film that is under the contract of the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, um, you can't have 10 writers credited on a script. So it goes through what's called an arbitration process. And I really felt at that point like no one had my back. They're mm -hmm. like... You began this process, but then the adults came in the room. And I was like, well, but hold on. The final film is a combination of different voices, but a significant amount of my work product mm -hmm. is in there. The arbitration was long. It At a certain point, it looked like I honestly thought I would lose and not actually get credit on my own freaking movie, which was like absolutely that would nuts. That the scariest thought. It the, was like just being Adrian, out of your control. It was absolutely <gasps> awful. But oh I got to tell you, I got my manager at the time brought me uh, someone who he had worked with who had been through six arbitrations, won every single one. And he was kind of like my Mr. Miyagi, mm -hmm, if you know the Karate mm -hmm. Kid reference. Um, and uh, I, dude, I wrote a 50 page statement that not only had to explain based on every draft of the script written by every writer, and there was like 11 drafts, not only had to explain why I deserved credit based on the pre-suggested right. formula, but why others did not meet that threshold. Now, the first rule of thumb I was told is do not trash the other writers. Mm -hmm. Do not be like, you know, 
screw these guys. Right. Like, this is my thing. But at the same time, make your case. So I right. felt like I was, this was freaking law school. You're like, this percentage is me. This, this sentence was me. And to be clear, you're you're absolutely right. This dialogue, this yeah. theme, this structure, this character. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I also, I made a point because um, I'm not in first position and positions are relative. But I said, look, of the all the contributing writers, myself and Karen did the preponderance of the work. Um, and we're entitled to the credit. And I said, and I'm not, it's not about my ego, but I did 50% yeah. of this work. You uh, and, it. and at the end of the day, I won. And mm -hmm. I got to tell you, in some respects, that was a bigger accomplishment. But mm -hmm. here's the point, kind of getting a very long-winded way, which is I'm very good at, about getting <laughs> to the spirit of your question, which is I that wasn't a solo credit and a bunch of agents and managers are like, Oh wait, is that your writing partner? I was like, no, I, I barely know her. So I started taking a bunch of meetings and people are like, Oh, try and do family films, write more of your own stuff. And I met a lot of people who said, we're going to tell you how your career is going to go. Right. And I was like, yeah, uh, no, no. <laughs> um, and because the truth of the matter is they all had these ideas that were follow this plan, mm -hmm. follow this formula. Mm -hmm. And look, I think any creative entrepreneur, and this comes back to the point of like, zig when others zag, think in mm -hmm. different ways, literally all around yeah. you on all sides. But here's the flip side to that. Maybe if I had done it their way, I'd have then made the next film and the film after that and the film after that. That didn't necessarily happen. Now, I got hired to write a bunch of stuff that did not get made. The Dolphin tail sequel happened i was not really involved in that which was kind of felt like a little bit of a diss but i had also sort of mentally moved on mm -hmm, from that in mm -hmm. a way um and then i got back to realizing that what i was earning a living doing was helping other people with mm -hmm. their strategy right. and being the creative partner in that process right here's what's important though i finally got to a point where i'm like there's a law of diminishing returns here. Mm -hmm. I can be the greatest marketing exec and creative strategist, but I don't control that content at the end yep. of the day. And the epiphany, which led to the creation of, of the company that I had, that we just wound down because I think market conditions kind of mm -hmm. just meant that the business we started is not the way the business is now. And we just had my partners and I had different ideas of where that should go, but it was about, we want to take back control. And the cool thing is, Right now, you take out a phone, there's a bunch of apps, there's a bunch of streaming services. There were times where, particularly when there was more short-form content platforms, where creators could create. Creators got to create. Mm -hmm. And that the truth of the matter was that was such an exciting time to be in that business. We, dude, we launched a company out the gate. We had a first look deal at ABC. Mm -hmm. We were doing a huge science fiction project with Machinima that was executive produced by the freaking writer creator of the reboot of star trek yeah the transformer <laughs> movies amazing spider-man films with andrew garfield if that was your you know if that was your speed um and this was a guy who was going to work with us on a freaking web series and you were like yes um wait and, and to pause you for one course. second um just for some context to clear up this story so like basically after the film and after things post the film yeah you guys kind of you and your partners and and but more importantly you said you know what i'm not gonna just go down this one path everyone's telling me to go down and wait for everyone else and ultimately not be in control of the content but rather just part of the strategy of the of content the team, yeah like of the Edwin, team yeah. and and i think that's super interesting i mean that's kind of how i always felt as well with every job i mean i loved working at companies i've interned at several digital and 
studios, um, Warner Brothers in particular that I really loved and and they offered me a job and I was like, hold on though, like there's such a specific path here. It's like be an assistant for five years, then maybe like move up to this and maybe move up to this. But ultimately, whatever your ideas are, like they'll never really get made because or, or necessarily and Dude, it's even worse. If you have an idea that's amazing, they'll make it and you don't own yeah, it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Like you can get so screwed in so many ways. And I just I think I got lucky because I was right. I was in that position right when what you're talking about was happening, where like, you know, doing your own content, creating your content was you were in control. Like, hey, now if you have dope content and you make it, you can go into a meeting and pitch it. And if they don't want it, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go make it somewhere else instead of the power being the opposite where they're like, no, like we're not going to make this. And you're sitting there like, they were always the gatekeepers. And that's true in publishing. That's true in film and television. Mm -hmm. And that's true in music. That was true. Right. It's no longer and no true longer. Now. And that's what I, I saw right then, which was what you were talking about is like, I was like, no, there I know. And they knew, by the way, the team and I loved everyone there at Warner Brothers, but they knew I wanted to be creative and they knew that I was going to go be creative. And, and that's you were why bigger than them. I mean, and that's not a that's not even an ego thing. The reality of it is you have to make a decision at a certain point. The corporate life can right. be very safe and it's a reliable paycheck and a 401k and health yep. insurance. But Great things don't happen if you don't take risks. Yeah, you got to take the risk. Nobody changed the world by being normal. No, it's true. And I just, I had this gut feeling. I was like, this, there's something more. Like, I'm, I want to be creative. I don't care if I get paid half the amount to start. If I can be creative every day, that's what I want to do. And that will lead to something else. And this is actually where we get right back into what you were saying, which, so basically, you launched Legion of Creatives, which was the company where you decided we're taking control. And that was actually my first job at out of college. Mm -hmm. I said no to Warner Brothers. And in Warner Brothers defense, like they were super into all the ideas I had. They genuinely were very excited. The problem was just that the approval process for anything new just takes so long because there's just with big studios, there's so much legal. Yeah. Everything. It just takes a long time. So like to their credit, they were into it, but I just knew it wasn't going to happen quickly enough. And I was like, not about to sit around and wait, but here you guys were, and you guys were all these like industry veterans who have done X, Y, and Z awesome, successful project. And you were like, Hey, we are on your same page where we're like, no, we're not going to sit around and wait. We're not going to like have someone else control all of our content and all of our work. We're going to do our own thing. And that's like what attracted me to the company and to you guys was like, you know, it was a startup, but not in every sense of the word. You already had all these deals, the overhead, you know, cost taken care of, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was so exciting for me to be like employee number one, walking into a company True. being like, let's make our own stuff. Holy crap. Yeah. So and, that and look, happened. And, and again, just to, to pay back that kind of compliment and recognition, I think what was, there were a lot of different ways to go in terms of people we spoke to and talked to. And I think that the creative energy that you brought that was so invaluable to us in a way was first of all just a shorthand with a lot of the digital tools that were sort of available in the marketplace but also realizing that you can lead in that space or you can follow and what we were trying to do you know we had the benefit of working uh with one of our partners at the time who was you know an actor who was Mm -hmm. somewhat well recognized and that even the creative energy that you brought to that which was very diy but also just in the same way that i recounted the story at the beginning of my career which was let me work on all these film sets you shot you edited you wrote scripts with me, you know, mm-hmm. we got to do all those things. And look, I, some of that content, I go back and look at it very fondly. Cause I'm like, yeah, you and I did some cool yeah, stuff. We did stuff. And even five years later, it's still a great exemplar of yeah. like what good 
Yeah, and like we sat there and we made do. something. We didn't sit there waiting for someone else to say to we get could permission. Make something. Yeah, and that to me, look, we started out in some respect by talking about the whole failure thing. My yes, whole take on failure is really the following: I have realized that I made some choices that are as much a reflection on external circumstances uh, as they are on my role in them. Spread myself too thin, which mm -hmm. is something a lot of entrepreneurs do, mm -hmm. which meant that it was literally that expression jack of all trades, master of mm -hmm. none, because clients were not getting that individual care. I, I, if I had it to do over, like I feel a, a sense of responsibility and disappointment in myself by virtue of the fact that I committed to a thing where I did not consistently exceed expectations. Mm -hmm. But I look at those as valuable life lessons, which is not only prioritization and time management, but also when you're doing the thing because you're convinced that like, this is how I'm paying my rent or my mortgage or my car note or my mm -hmm. groceries this month. And you're not taking into account that if you don't want a regular job, then don't pursue things that require the, the behaviors and accountability right. of a regular job right. in that way. I think at the same time, as I said to you as well, that I've also not always been great about taking advantage of the right opportunity at the right time. Timing does matter. It does. And the realization of it is that it is okay to walk away from an opportunity mm -hmm. because if you're focused on the right, wrong thing, you're missing the opportunity to see the right That's thing. That's huge. That's happened to me so many times. I feel like this even happened with you and I where I'm so that type of person where I love, I get really excited about projects and I want to do all these things. And so if an opportunity that's dope comes around, you know, my instinct is like, hell yes, let's make it work. Doesn't matter. And then I think actually one of my first, like I've just started realizing only in the last six, seven months was like what you just said. Uh, I can't take on everything. First of all, I'm not going to exceed expectations for clients, which is my whole goal with what I do is like to help people. And I think you told me about something, some really exciting, cool project that we could potentially work together on. And I remember like for literally the first time in my life, I was like, no, I can't. Because I'm focusing yeah. on this one thing right now. And I was like, dang. But I realized, I was like, there are going to be more opportunities that we can do and blah, blah, well, blah. But there are two things. And I really want to emphasize what you just said. The most beautiful word in the English language <laughs> is no. <laughs> because the reality of it is, is I've heard that expression that I'm going to mangle that basically says you're, you never are going to succeed in an opportunity that you never take a shot at. Right. But the problem is if you keep taking the wrong shots, you'll also right. not succeed at the end of the day. And the thing that I realize is this comes full circle to, I think, what you've been talking about, the, the way I'm trying to approach it. Know where you add value, know what you're good at, know what you're passionate about. Also realize not only can you not do it all, you shouldn't do it yeah, all. Yeah, you shouldn't. And you have to make the decision about determining is client service your area of focus or is in building kind of a business and a brand and a legacy that then can exist mm -hmm. and you can monetize separately is mm -hmm. the focus. The problem is too many young people who have to hustle and have to grind and have to juggle 18 balls, spin 44 plates, they're doing too much mm -hmm. and the work is ultimately suffering. And I think they're also part of like one of the major points of this podcast as well as to start allowing people to realize too that there is a lot more money in the world that, than there seems to be and that you 
genuinely can create your path and your success and and the way that you're making money without succumbing to that grind or that hustle all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying sit around and do nothing and just like be entitled and don't ever work hard. No, but you know, if you asked me two years ago, if I thought I could make a full-time living making videos, I'd be like, or not two, sorry, like six years ago, I'd be like, no. If you asked me if I could make a full-time living um, creating an online course, I'd be like, no, absolutely not. And I've realized that those things are possible. Anything really is possible. You just have to take that leap and do it. You're absolutely right. Um, You and I in social science, a lot of stuff is thrown around about people's privilege and whatever. You and I have the benefit of living in the wealthiest nation in the world, being middle class, coming from educated homes, right. um, having those things. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that what is important and what I recognize, which kind of is a perfect kind of addendum to what you're saying, stay humble, realize that we all have a lot to learn, but always be in a position to help empower others to succeed mm-hmm. and get the same chances and choices we do. Right. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be about equality, equal outcomes, but it should be about equal opportunities. Mm-hmm. And to me, whether it's people of color, people in the LGBT community, uh, women, I think that the thing that I care about, and it's not about being woke or being anything like that. It's just realizing that the diversity of voices that exist in the marketplace only make us stronger because like you said, with regard to the money, there are opportunities to speak to niche audiences. Yes, Tyler Perry is launching a new streaming service with BET. There's 87 other things that are going on. It doesn't matter how many people are doing what you're doing as long as you find your spin on it and you believe that it's possible and that's it. And I'm going to just say one final thing. Yes. Um, You use the C word, community. And I think that at the end of the day, whether the expression is it takes a village or whatever, we cannot do this alone. Yeah. We tend to assume that we can. We tend to focus too many of our energies in the wrong areas because we're not good with letting go. Mm-hmm. We're not good with delegating. Mm-hmm. But we also Me, then are preach. not confident in our own abilities right. because we're feeling like we have to control that whole value chain. 100%. And, and truthfully, if you're going to be self-made, that's a, as much about the zeros in your checking account as it is about the oohs and ahs of your heart, your passion, your spirit. 100%. And I guess that kind of goes also with, you know, when when you have that negative self-talk of, you know, I'm not capable of this or I'm not, um, my skills might not be there. It kind of just all comes down to this. Also, just try, learn as much as you can. I like to say failure is feedback. So you're not, you know, and we can, we'll go into whole other episodes on failure. Honestly, maybe I'll bring you back for that. Do a failure panel and then I'll come back for that. I will because I think that's a huge thing. And obviously we don't have time to get into that right now, but- but fail, fail hard and fail often. And by the way, and fail quickly because- Yeah, so the, that you can learn and get up and do the, the next the, thing. The, the reality of it is, is that um, Silicon Valley tech companies, they iterate fast because the quicker you make the mistake, the quicker you can figure out how to right. go the right way. Right, no, absolutely. And we got to just throw spaghetti at a wall and hope it sticks and then well, figure and look, it out if it doesn't. And dude, 
and have fun at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. We are not curing cancer other than those of us who are. Who are. <laughs> um, but the way yeah. that I look at it is I wake up every day realizing that I'm going to learn something new today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have interactions with people who are going to teach me a thing, help reframe my thinking oh, yeah. about it. Yep. And I got to tell you, that's what keeps it interesting. It I'm not the youngest does. guy in the room anymore, but I'm always going to have the energy of the youngest guy in the room yeah. because I have a lot to learn and I've got a lot to prove. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I think, yeah, well, we could talk for hours. I'm going to have to bring you back because we could literally go on and on and on. And unfortunately, this I'm episode I'm going to be like your Dr. Phil, <laughs> where I'll start and then I'll become more popular than you and then take you over. That, so. I think that's already <laughs> happening, actually. Let's check the ratings. Yep. Okay, great. There you go. Um, well, thank well, you so much. Yeah, thank you for being here and, and for telling your story. And I'll definitely have to bring you back because I know, like, I mean, we've even just together already gone through so many different types of um, evolutions in in business and in mindset and learning from each other. And here's going to be a um, a teaser for our next conversation. When I ended up being the head of a digital company, and this was in the late 90s, um, the CEO ended up having to go into rehab. I started running things in his absence, um, left the office one day and realized I forgot something, came back only to find that his employees were shooting pornographic films in the back room. Oh my God. <laughs> this is some of the many stories right, that I can a, share for the memoir. That's a story time that we will tell. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here, for listening. Thank you, Noam, for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. This is a dream come true. Congratulations as much. on this. This is absolutely amazing. And, guys, uh, take a note of that. It's like when. the one compliment he'll ever give me. So thank you. Yes. Just kidding. I no, no, you. you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty right. Um, but anyway, Thank you so much. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, it's available. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with whoever. There are tons of great episodes, and we're only just starting, you guys. So remember, you can follow me on Instagram at Adrian Finch or at The Selfmade CEO. Please give me feedback, comments, ratings, anything you guys want. You can also email theselfmadeceopodcast at gmail.com. And without, I guess, anything else, man, I, I don't want to leave, wait, but I got it. I got it. I'm running says, over time. Else, like, uh, how about my without social media? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait. Yeah. Good. If you want to find uh, at, Gnome at and troll Dromi. him, I will put his links in the show notes at awesome, Gnome Dromi, awesome. at We Are Legion. Yes. And um, are you Legion, actually? Are, are yeah. you Legion? Yeah. Check the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but I will catch you guys in the next episode. See you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hey, my dark darlings. Hopefully you've been enjoying our latest videos. We're a small crew here at Something Scary, so we have to make sure that the work that goes into our episodes gets done in order and on schedule. So that's why I wanna tell you about our sponsor, Monday.com. Monday.com is an online teamwork platform that keeps your team connected from anywhere. I really enjoy the visual ease of using Monday.com. It helps banish the demons of confusing email chains or who's doing what and by when. It helps make sure everyone is aligned and on the same page. One of the things that I enjoy the most about Monday.com is that it's customizable. So it feels like it could fit any type of collaboration or industry. Build confidence within your team and reach every goal with ease. Visit Monday.com to start your free two-week trial.